Market View on Money FM 89.3. We may be in the, at the start of a new quarter, but the lingering risks from the lingering and drawn out invasion by Russia of Ukraine continues to shape geopolitical sentiment energy markets, and also the outlook for global investors across the region and across the world. Well, how will this actually continue to play out in the second quarter, and what kind of risks should investors gear themselves uh, up uh, to perhaps brace against? Today on Money FM 3 we are pleased to be joined by Mr. Stephen Innes, a managing partner at SBI Asset Management, to help us understand his thoughts on how markets might actually trade and regard some of these pervasive issues, and also what he makes of signs of that inverting yield curve out in the United States. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to hear from you again. It's been a while, and, and, we're, and we're happy to have you here this afternoon. Thanks for having me, JP. All right. So it's a new quarter, Stephen, and markets are still feeling the lingering effects from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There's now talks of possible war crimes, of course, which Moscow denies, and also fresh sanctions from Western leaders. And these broad geopolitical headwinds that we've seen really are leading to a more pointed impact on energy prices. Uh, share with us your thoughts, Stephen. Will this continue to pose puzzles and uncertainty in this new quarter for us? Well, certainly, you know, risk sentiment over the past week has been very, very inconsistent. Um, and I think the market signals could be best characterized by a repetitive cat and mouse game, whereby headlines initially emerged that there's some progress in ceasefire talks before typically being walked down by Russia. This sort of sends the markets for a loop, uh, but it primarily gets played through the energy markets here because oil is really, really sensitive to peace talks, and that seems to be what's happening. But we have to keep uh, remembering here that uh, there's a lot of sanctions on Russian oil, not just country sanctions, but a lot of sell sanctions by uh, oil importers. Um, The big brokerages refuse to buy Russian oil, and this is a big problem, and this is what's uh, going to be uh, lingering issues that we're going to be dealing with. Um, probably right through 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, the Biden administration, I want to focus on of, of what happened just a few days ago when the Biden administration um, decided to make that huge release from the strategic reserves, about 180 million barrels at a pace of a million barrels a day over the next six months. And it might have been seen as them trying to galvanize other nations, specifically the IEA, to release more oil from their reserves. But you've been watching the crude markets longer than I have, Stephen. How much will this actually do for crude oil markets and in taming these rising and surging prices that are now that are that have been above $100 a barrel for the for for the better part of uh, the last few weeks? And could some of the this also solve some of the structural issues surrounding the supply side? You know, previous SPR releases have not really helped to cool oil prices because, first, um, they're an indication how severe policymakers think the current situation is. They have to dive in that big. Then there is a problem globally, and that sort of confirms the bullish sentiment. Second, they're very transitory. We've already seen movements in the further out part of the curve. Oil prices have risen, and that's uh, knowingly because these reserves will have to get replaced again. I'm really unsure how much additional oil can actually enter the global system. We've got about a million barrels per day, which is roughly, or a little bit more if we include the uh, uh, the uh, IEA uh, numbers. But it's about the equivalent uh, impact of lifting Iran sanctions. Uh, and to ramp up production near to pre-sanction levels. I didn't consider Iran's supply much of an offset to the more considerable Russian losses, but look, it's doing its job right now. I think it's tempering markets' upside uh, ambitions. We're seeing a big decline in speculative factors that are going on in the trade right now, uh, in, in the old market trading right now. And I think 
what this actually does here. It gives the stall progress in Iran a little bit more time to get ironed out. But, of course, it also allows OPEC production cuts to unwind further. So I think what it's taken off the table is $150 oil. But I think, again, because of the self-sanctions and the massive amount of Russian oil that needs to be backfilled by the market, I think we're going to be in for a higher oil prices through 2022 and possibly well into 2023. Yeah, you talked about uh, Iran possibly coming in to fulfill these gaps. Uh, there was also talk, at least, of US, the U.S. potentially warming up once again to one of their erstwhile foes of Venezuela, but also talk of all this Russian oil going to some of these Asian buyers. Do you think this has the potential to shape or cha- permanently change the landscape and how where people buy their oil depending on the countries? And could this perhaps even cause even more geopolitical friction, say, within among other oil producers who might think that, hey, you know what, this Russian oil is taking some of our market share. Is this a concern or do you think this is uh, something that uh, perhaps is is low in the totem pole of possible risks from all of these oil changes? No, I think this will definitely be discussed um, in Europe tomorrow um, when they're looking at various sanctions and whether they're actually going to go forward and sanction um, countries Mm -hmm. that are actually supporting Russia. I mean, you know, we have to look at the humanitarian landscape also uh, to a great degree where, you know, countries uh, simply, you know, with a huge trade deficit, balance of trade deficit as a result of these soaring energy prices. I'm referencing India, for example. Mm-hmm. They don't really have much of an option. Um, so will they be given a pass in this landscape to pick up discounted oil? Possibly. But I think um, it would only be as a buyer of last resort if these cargoes can't get filled by traditional cons- customers. But I don't think they're going to go in full-hearted and say, listen, we're not going to take any oil from Saudi Arabia in, in the absence of, in other words, we're going to start taking all of our oil from uh Mm-hmm. from Russia. That would be just bad. And I think that would create a lot of frictions. I don't think that's going to happen. But if they're going to fulfill current contracts that may be out for three to six months or possibly even longer, I don't think there's going to be any problem with that. I think that's going to be accepted in the political landscape. All right. Russell Beza, Stephen Innes, Managing Partner at SBI Asset Management here on on Money FM 89.3. Ultimately, though, for the markets, the rising energy could feed into these already high pressures. And with earnings season just around the quarter, Stephen, could this potentially begin to start eating into the margins of many companies that are preparing to reveal their report cards? What are your thoughts on this? Well, it's an interesting question. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very important topic, but I think um, I'm expecting stable earnings, um, and the reason for okay. that, uh, particularly in the U.S., is these companies have been able to sex- successfully pass higher input costs onto the consumer. That's the, that's the problem we're in right now, and this is why we're in this inflation uh, problem right now. Um, with inflation pressures surging, uh, pricing power relative to cost exposures will be a key thing theme uh, going through in 2022. And I think this is where we're looking at generating any type of alpha in global equity markets. I think this is what we're going to look at these companies, particularly, maybe not the indexes, but specific companies, um, where they are successfully able to navigate this inflation and actually pass the prices on to consumer. I mean, at the opposite end of the spectrum, we have Japan, for instance, companies that refuse to pass on um, 
cost input prices. And that's because they're worried about the ramifications of customers down the road. That doesn't seem to be happening in the U.S. market. But it's not to say it won't happen. It's just not happening right now. All right. So, Stephen, let's talk about that other risk that's begun to creep into the minds of many other investors, especially out on the West. And there's this, this yield curve that's showing signs of inversion. It seems everyone can't seem to stop talking about it from the five-year to 30-year spread, even the, and the two-year to 10-year section. Some think, though, that worries are overblown because to have a yield curve inversion actually signal recessions, they need to be sustained. The inversion has to be sustained over some period of time. Share with us your thoughts. How seriously should we be taking these flashing signals that the yield curve is starting to perhaps invert even these slight manners? Well, I, I don't want to discount it because a lot of um, market people are actually looking at that and adjusting portfolios because of it. So you have to keep that in the back of your mind if you are building a portfolio. However, you know, five-year bond yields are higher than 30-year bond yields. What does it mean? It's a very good question because people will start looking at various aspects of the yield curve and suggest this is inverted, that's invested. Really, the bond markets know something that economists don't know. We haven't really heard economists really ringing the recession bell because of the inverted yield curve. I don't think so here. I think the inversions signaled recession in 1970s when bond yields were all about inflation. Inflation was tied to the cycle and recession meant lower long yields. 50 years later, things are completely different. Look, coming out of COVID, we've got this hyperinflation that's forcing interest rates in the front end really high. But the back end's not going up high because, look, if the feds are moving interest rates higher because of inflation, when inflation starts easing, why wouldn't they? ease rates down. It's not necessarily because they're a recession. I think they'll ease rates because there's no longer any inflation and they want to keep interest rates quite comfortable to create a buoyant growth style economy because they're going to need lower rates to support the economic activities that are going to be going on for the next five or 10 years. Not suggesting recession will not happen. I'm just not buying the yield curve predicting recessions because things are completely different these days. Okay. Stephen, maybe you can help us, uh, help me understand this one thing that's had me scratching my head over the last couple of weeks. Now, some are arguing that a recession might not be serious because they're, they're arguing that there's all this liquidity unleashed by central banks over the years. However, you have some in the bond markets moaning about drying liquidity or tightening liquidity already happening in the markets. Uh, Care to comment, what is the state of liquidity? Is it really a C or is it that drying creek that some of these uh, more uh, cynical bond traders are actually hearkening about? What should we actually lean towards here? Well, you know, two different types of liquidity here. One is market-based liquidity and the other one is central bank liquidity. Central bank liquidity is what the Federal Reserve Boards will do. And look, they may... They're going to reduce liquidity in the markets, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be there for a backstop if needed uh, through through uh, through forward exchange swap lines. So that's going to be something. Like I mean, if if things get very very tight when they start removing QT, I think the Fed will step in there and provide enough liquidity so there won't be a big shortage of dollars globally. But when we're talking about market-based liquidity, that's a function of market spreads. Look. I think the problem we have right now is the volatility through oil markets, and that's spreading through various sections of the market community right now, especially in the the uh, uh, after we had that debacle on nickel and the LME. Mm-hmm. I think what's happening is your risk managers are very, very cognizant of the big players right now, asking their traders to pair positions back. So market makers are not holding on to as big a positions as they were. Um, so without that backstop, um, there's just less liquidity in the market. But that'll come back. This is just a temporary thing because of the wartime 
pulled back in pulled back in liquidity. That's just a natural phenomenon, but that doesn't mean liquidity is gone forever. I just think it's market-based liquidity I'm referring to. It just means it's just uh, held back for a short term. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit backed up, perhaps. So, and the well, the last question I want to ask uh, Stephen is always because of all these rising uncertainties. I'd like to get your thoughts on what's your biggest advice now for investors if uncertainties continue to rise and how they might be able to protect themselves. Well, you know, we're looking here with no progress in peace talks at all. Um, we did talk about the ongoing inversion in the two's tens yield curve. Um, but that offers some more focus on a really complicated macro environment right now. Of course, it does encompass war, but it also encompasses higher commodity freight prices and inflation. We're also dealing with a COVID lockdown in Shanghai. What does that mean? It means that we've got unpredictable monetary policy reaction functions, not only in China, but also in Europe, who's actually facing the brunt of this uh, this uh, war. So we, we have a complicated uh, issue right now. What does that mean? It means you should look for hedges that protect you in this environment. And I'm going back to my old favorite gold markets right now. I think those are going to be uh, something that uh, people will probably cherish if this inflation picks up and we do actually go into a period of economic slowdown. Look, I'm not suggesting we're going into a recession, but the first signs that we do see the U.S. economic data wobble, I think people are going to get very nervous. And I think you'd be happy to keep some gold in in your back pocket in these types of markets. All right. Very sound advice there in case the worst does happen. Of course, we're not wishing for that. But I would like to thank Stephen as managing a partner at SPA Asset Management for Joy Day. On Money FM 89.3. Stephen, it's always a pleasure. I hope you have a great afternoon out there in Thailand, sir. Great. Thanks for having me, JP. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.